Ale które to popalone? I uh, I stepped on a landmine in 2010, uh, nearly took my life. I um, decided to uh, kind of devote my life to helping other people. I did seven more trips back to Afghanistan as a Green Beret. Then Ukraine kicked off and um, I was searching for that purpose after Afghanistan closed the way it did. Um, and I found it, you know, in February uh, when, when Russia escalated uh, the war over here in Ukraine. So I came over and started helping. Saw the ugly um, facts of war when civilians hitting landmines and um, booby traps. Um, the casual, civilian casualties going up. And I, I've, you know, found a, a lot of IEDs in my time, whether it's with my leg or with a mine detector, but I found it. And I decided that I wanted to dedicate, you know, my life over here to ensuring that civilians didn't have to live in fear of their next step. And so tip the spear, landmine removal. They weren't lying when they said mine. <laughs> we already took the fuse out, but yeah, I guess that's about as close as you can get to danger, mine. Uh, coming over here the first time was, it kind of reminded me a lot of, um, of Robin Sage. I was supposed to, which is the accumulation exercise for special forces. Um, I was supposed to meet up with some guy in this van. He was gonna take me to the border. Another guy was gonna take me from there to another drop off spot. And then from there I'd get to Kiev. So um, it, it was pretty exciting, but I've never been a part of a near peer conflict as you would call it, or, um, or a two legitimate armies fighting each other. It's always been insurgency for me. Um, so the, the violence of artillery and the technology um, of war was something that I was not prepared for. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and so the US, yes, but the Afghan, the Taliban didn't have that. Um, the Iraqis to a point, but it wasn't anything like, you know, we're seeing here. And so I, I, I just think the, um, the violence of action um, was something that I haven't really been a part of before, so. How many total deployments do you have in the war on terror and how did that prepare you for what you're doing here? So I have, um, I have eight deployments to Afghanistan, two to Iraq. Um, how, I would say how it prepared me for that is because um, understanding the civilian suffering. And so what I mean by that is um, I, do, I, I do have a love for the Afghan people and the, and the innocent Iraqis that are caught in the middle. And the same, the same with here in Ukraine. I mean, people will ask me, you know, what side or, you know, uh, political um, conversation, whatever, but I don't get into it. I'm only on the side of the civilians that are caught in the middle that don't have that choice. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I'm here. It's not supporting either side. So. Talk about the risks that you face out there trying to do this job. Uh, uh, the risks, I mean, you're, you're dealing with explosives. So um, between landmines, uh, booby traps, or booby trap landmines, um, the risks are high. But I, there, I have a little saying that um, I like, and it's the fact that um, as long as I'm not getting shot at, I can, I can take my time. Mm -hmm. And I can go slow and I don't ha I'm not in a rush. Um, but what's kind of key clockwise, pop, <laughs> oh, that never gets fun. 
So if I'm not getting shot at, um, I can take my time. And landmines and booby traps, they're not really that hard to find if you, if you just, the pressure is that danger that you're faced in front of you. I've been asked a few times about how I kind of track them down a little bit. So there was one, I already pulled that. And then you got two, three, and four. And then it starts going uphill. Um, you start getting shot at now all of a sudden it's uh, it's a whole nother uh, situation. But um, I think what's kind of calloused, but I'm a firm believer in is um, I can do everything right in that one wrong step that I make. I probably won't know it anyway. So, you know. <laughs> you have family back home? I do. Tell me about them. Um, so I have my wife, my fur missile. Um, I love my dog to death and I love my wife too, but dogs kind of first, you know. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but I've never heard anybody call their wife a fur missile, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love my, our dog is, is our family. So, and then my dad, uh, my sisters and my brother. So what do they think about them? Um, they actually, they actually, like my family. Yeah. My family actually accepts it more than, than I would have thought they did because, um, we are over here helping people and you have a, I have a weird belief. Um, it's it's kind of my my religious belief, but it's it's helped me out through Afghanistan. Even after when I stepped on an IED, um, I believe your your life is like a book, and so the beginning chapter and the end chapter are already written. Um, when you're born and when you die, that's up to God, and He knew that way before you were even born. What your plan was going to be, but everything in the middle is up to you, um, and how you write those pages of your book in the middle, in the end, is, it, is that story gonna be worth reading? That's, you know, that's, that's up to you. So I do believe that I won't die until it's God's time for me to go, regardless if I'm at home sleeping or if I'm in Ukraine doing what I'm doing. And so people could argue it, well, what happens if you jump in front of a semi truck? Well, God knew I was gonna be an idiot and jump in front of a semi truck. And we'll have a conversation about that when I get there. But I believe that, so because I believe that when I'm born, and when, I'm die, or when I die, that's out of my hands. So everything in the middle, life is extremely short, extremely short. So why not help people while you're here? And what, what are the results you've seen uh, so far? You know, of, of the missions you've had over here so far, what have you been able to accomplish? Well, um, <laughs> one, uh, I, I guess the farming area over, um, I guess it, it's, it's just a little bit south of a zoom. But, um, but that area, when I left in August, my buddy, um, Victor, sent me a video of a John Deere combine cut in the field that was recently completely landmined. And we removed 334 landmines um, from that area. And now this farmer, he, he said in the video, he said, look, there's two Americans working out here, um, you and this John Deere combine. And, um, and that right there, um, told me that I am doing what I'm supposed to do because I, I, I did. Everybody, um, especially veterans, you battle with your purpose. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What mark am I going to leave um, when I'm gone? Will I be remembered? A lot of people ask that question. Um, most people, yeah, you, you can be remembered for being a really bad guy, but most people are remembered for the good that they do and those lessons that they leave behind. And the best thing a human being can do is to help other humans. And it's very easy, but 
you're not just helping them, they're helping you too, because it's therapeutic. And so 44 years old, I, I finally figured it out. <laughs> and that's my purpose. Um, so that's why I do what I do. So uh, tell, tell me about the situation where you got your foot blown off or whatever, uh, when you hit your landmine. Yeah. So um, we, were doing a, we were doing a major um, valley clearance. Um, we were in Aruzgan province along the Helmand River. Everybody knows anything along any river in Afghanistan is, is bad. Um, and our job, our job was there, there was a company um, along with a bunch of Afghan commandos and everything. Um, we were going to clear this valley of suspected 2,500 Taliban fighters. Afghan math. So 100, maybe. <laughs> but um, we had to clear this valley. And our, my ODA's objective was the southern, and we were going to move up to the central while the commandos were hitting the central, and then the teams from the north were coming down. And then move the Taliban up to the mountains, and then we'd kill them by air. Um, we got to our first set of compounds, and I'm a, I was at 18 Charlie, so special forces engineer, and I'm up in the front with a mine detector. And uh, we'd cleared up to our first set of compounds. I, um, and just as we rehearsed, you rehearse for days and days and days with your Afghan counterparts, and then you rehearse some more. Well, we got to our last, probably not covered, but maybe concealed location. And it's like, all right, guys, just like we rehearsed, Afghans go, your country, go fight for it. Let's get this first compound secure. Like, no, no one's moving. Like, okay. All right, maybe uh, our, maybe our interpreter, <laughs> Nick, maybe Nick's not saying it correctly. He's, hey, Nick, we planned this, let's go. All right, green beret stuff, good. And I'm looking cool, you know, that whole deal. Nobody's moving. Like, hey, man, what is going on here? We, we practice this. We're supposed to do what we practice. They say it's too dangerous. I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is a really bad area. <laughs> yeah, this is super bad. Yeah, okay, let's go. They said you should go first. You're an American and you um, are better trained. Okay, yeah, if we were clearing, you know, um, towns in Texas, I would say, yes, that's my country, I'm, let's do it. But we're in Afghanistan. We're in Chitu River Valley. Like, all right, these are legitimately your villages. Okay, let's go. No? So our interpreter had ran down to the first doorway, breach point, whatever you want to call it. And it's still, we're still um, light and noise discipline because we have these grand ideas that the Taliban don't know we're there. Stupid, but we think that. They're not going to shoot, a, they're not going to fire at night because that's too easy for us. Um, so he runs down to that front door and he's trying to Afghan Rambo wave them in with a chem light, you know, and none of that area has been cleared and he's our only Terp. So we're, we're looking at, you know, 50 Afghan militia fighters, not even really trained besides us and 12 ODA. And so we're just like, all right. So I run down to the, uh, you know, we were broken up in different teams. My other American with me, he's like, hey, go get him off the door. I'm the new guy. So I'm like, okay, you got it. So I go to the breach point, pull him away, and, you know, and say, hey, man, stupid, 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 get away. And then I tell him to move back to our last position, and then you have to cover the unknown. So I have my weapon, and I'm, you know, covering the unknown inside this courtyard, looking around, and I see something move. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm like, cool, let's do this. And I take a step inside to kind of like see what's moving around, the shiny thing, and boom. 
And it was a landmine, or it was an IED that was placed right in the doorway. And so, yeah, that the IED went off, and at first I didn't know, I didn't know what happened, um, because you can't, you can't train for, you know, that kind of trauma. You're just like, wow. And right off the bat, I, was, I can't breathe because the dust and the ammonia and everything like that. I can't breathe. If I don't get some air, I'm, I'm going to die. Why can't I move? And I'm just, I'm, I'm getting mad. It says like, all right, calm down calm down. And so I, I start to, you know, quit hyperventilating, quit getting mad. I'm trying to find my, you know, I'm trying to get my weapon out from underneath me because I had a slung, but it's, you know, it's all. And so as the dust starts to clear, it's that time in the morning where you're not really sure if you need nods or not. You're like, eh, so it's zero four or whatever. And um, dust starts to clear a little bit. And I look down and my leg is at a 90 degree angle. So my boot is at a 90 degree angle to my leg. And again, you can't really prepare for it. So I was like, huh, well, that looks really weird. And I'm not the smartest guy either. So let's get that out of the way. But I was looking down, I was like, that, why is my boot doing that? Pain still hasn't hit. And so, you know, and, I, and I'm talking minutes here, this is seconds. And so as I, you know, I was like, well, let me investigate. So I grabbed behind my knee, pick my leg up and my boot flops over and the heel hits me in my hamstring. And I was like, huh, again, Oregon education, not that smart. It's like, that's really weird. And then I saw my tib and my fib sticking out of my pant leg. I was like, okay, I think something, boom, like a freight train, the pain hit me. And I was like, all right, I, what do I say? Um, I'm hit, I'm in, I just, <laughs> And it hurt so bad, so bad. I've never, never experienced pain like that. And I can't, like, you can't train for it. But I remember laying there trying to think, like, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm trying to get my tourniquet on and stuff like that, the self-aid and then the buddy aid thing. And I'm just, but I can't because when you do in medical training, you can't prepare for the shock of it. And so as I'm trying to get my tourniquet on this leg, I'm seeing my leg flop around. So I can't because my mind is focused on, you know, these two pearly white objects sticking out of the bottom of my pants. They're so white, it, you can't even call it white. It is just, it was glowing in the dark, my tib and my fib. And I was just like, oh man, I'm <laughs> like, I'm in a bad situation. My team can't get to me because I'm in a minefield. And, um, as, yeah, as, as the, this actually turned into minutes, you know, because I've got guys yelling, hey, put your tourniquet on, stay awake, Ryan, and stuff like that. But I remember everybody was yelling, it was controlled chaos. But I remember I was looking back because I was facing the compound, so I kept looking back and everybody was in this tunnel. And then the voices were like, people were yelling at me down this tunnel and they weren't getting any closer. And so I knew, I said, okay, like, I'm going to die here today. And that's, that's a weird, very weird realization is when you know, like, you know, you're going to die. Um, and it's not, it's not a given up kind of thing. It's more, you can't, you can't process it, but no one can get to you. And I'm, and I'm fading out quick. And I know what blood pool looks like and it's pooling up. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to crank down on it. I just can't, I don't have the strength. And so I just laid my head back and, <laughs> and uh, I looked at my life and I knew at that point, I was not happy with the man that if I died there that day, which I thought I was going to, 
I had not lived a good life. I was, I was a bad person. And so that actually set, regardless if I knew it or not, full circle April, or I'm sorry, August 2022, I'm out somewhere, Ukraine, removing landmines, and I went all the way back to that day, laying alongside the Helmand River, knowing I was gonna die and very upset with how I lived my life up to that point, knowing that there's something better for me that I could do. And then I figured it out. <laughs> 20, uh, what, 12 years later? But it's like, oh. What was the recovery like? Oh, the recovery is brutal. Um, uh, so relatively speaking, it was fast. Um, I was in the hospital for, hospital in rehab was 14 months. Um, they basically put my leg in a, a um, X-Fix, big old bird cage, rods going into everything, lined the tibula up together. Basically, they didn't care about the fibula because they said, you don't really need it. So lined a tib up together and said, hey, um, the only way you're gonna regrow this is through friction. You're gonna have to pound the crap out of yourself in therapy. You're gonna have to do it bigger, better, faster, stronger, because my goal was to get back. And I had multiple talks with the surgeons and, um, and physical therapists that were saying, hey, look, man, you need to manage your expectations. You are never going back to war. Like, you'll be lucky to walk unassisted again, ever. Like, be happy you're alive because you shouldn't be here. And um, again, not very smart dude. <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, well watch this. And I do understand the managed expectation part because a lot of people will you know, set themselves up for failure with unrealistic expectations. I will never be Tom Brady, um, yeah. But I just, I mean, I had this goal in front of me and when I was finally released from therapy there, they said, okay, so I was medically retired. And then I was brought back on active duty through a waiver system because they're like, yeah, he can sit at a desk and do stuff like that. Um, we spent a lot of money training him so we can get some stuff out of him. Um, and then I just started weaseling my way back. And next thing you know, um, there's a group, there's the new S1, which is our administration. They don't know who Ryan Henriksen is. But, my, but there's a deployment in Afghanistan. It's like, hey, I'm supposed to be on that deployment. And I was expecting, you know, cause my records say non-deployable. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, oh, are you new to the company? Well, sure, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> and then boom, approved. And I was on the C-17 um, March, um, yeah, March um, 2012. And um, I fought so hard to get back. And that old saying, careful what you wish for, um, my fire base was um, in Panjway District, Kandahar Province, the most IED'd area in all of Afghanistan in 2012. And I was like, oh, man, I was certainly in a rush to get back and get blown up again. <laughs>